Welcome to the Cheyenne Vineyard Podcast, bringing you a message of hope for your everyday world. If you'd like to contact us, contact us at info at CheyenneVineyard.com. You can also find out more information about the Cheyenne Vineyard Church at CheyenneVineyard.com. Thank you and enjoy today's podcast. In the Passover celebration, this is the third cup, the cup of redemption. And it's shared after the meal. And in the same way, he, Jesus, took the cup after they had eaten, saying, This cup which is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. Take this and share it among yourselves. In the first century, when a young Jewish man reached marrying age and his family selected an appropriate wife for him, the young man and his father would meet the young woman and her father to negotiate the bride price, the figurative cost of replacing a daughter. The price was usually very high. With negotiations complete, the custom was for the young man's father to pour a cup of wine and hand it to his son. His son would turn to the young woman, lift up the cup, hold it out to her, saying, This cup is a new covenant in my blood which I offer to you. In other words, I love you and I'll give you my life. Will you marry me? The young woman had a choice. She could take the cup and return it and say no. Or she could answer without saying a word. By drinking the cup. Her way of saying, I accept your offer. And I will give you my life in response. On the night of the Last Supper, Jesus and his disciples sat together, celebrating early Passover. The disciples knew the liturgy very well. They had celebrated Passover all their lives. When it came time to drink the third cup of wine, the cup of redemption, Jesus lifted the cup as the disciples would expect and offered traditional Seder thanks, which are used to this day. Blessed are you, Lord our God, King of the universe, for giving us the fruit of the vine. And then he offered it to them, but said something they probably didn't expect. This cup is a new covenant in my blood, which I offer to you. There are many meanings to this statement, but one of them in common, ordinary language was, I love you, and the only picture I can think of that will describe the power of my love for you is the pure love of a husband for his wife. It's hard to know what those disciples thought that night. Maybe a few chuckled a bit at the picture of Jesus making a marriage proposal, which must have seemed totally out of place in their Passover Seder. And yet they may have understood Jesus' willingness to die, be buried, and be raised again, to say, I love you, and as my Father promised your fathers, I'll pay the price for you. Whenever Christians celebrate the Lord's Supper, 
We must be mindful of Jesus' offer. He still says, I love you. He still says, I offer you my life. Will you be my bride? The taking of the cup is a solemn moment, for it is in that moment that one looks to the Heavenly Father and says, yes, I accept your love and I give you my life in response. And if that is your response, I invite you to drink. We're familiar with Isaiah 53, the first part, but I want to read that to you from the New Living Translation. It's it's a little more fresh. Who has believed our message? To whom has the Lord revealed his powerful arm? My servant grew up in the Lord's presence like a tender green shoot, like a root in dry ground. There was nothing beautiful or majestic about his appearance, nothing to attract us to him. He was despised and rejected a man of sorrows, acquainted with deepest grief. We turned our backs on him and looked the other way. He was despised, and we did not care. Yet it was our weaknesses he carried. It was our sorrows that weighed him down. And we thought his troubles were a punishment from God, a punishment for his own sins. But he was pierced, for our rebellion, crushed for our sins. He was beaten so we could be whole. He was whipped so we could be healed. All of us, like sheep, have strayed away, and we have left God's path to follow our own. Yet the Lord laid on him the sins of us all, that we might be healed and whole. And Jesus, we thank you for your body that was broken for us, that we might be healed, and we receive all those blessings, and we thank you. I think we're done. Now we can turn the lights on, Phil. Hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. When the Jewish in the tr- Jewish tradition, they always have the the alpha coman, which is they take part of the matzah and they break it and they save it all year long in case they're sick, and they run and take a piece of the alpha coman so they'll be healed. So they they believe that scripture, mm-hmm. and um, when uh, uh, Pastor Jay was doing his talking about the 
bread. Um, it reminded me that we have Alpha Coleman every every time. We don't have to wait every week. We can have it any time we want. We can go before Father and have mm-hmm. communion with Him. Mm-hmm. There's no there's no law against having it too much. <laughs> right. So. Thank you. Amen. Hmm. So, Daniel, you'll have to remind me at the end, because I, I think I'll have you share at the end, because I know I'll forget. Um, <clears throat> well, what I felt like the Lord laid on my heart for us um, today was uh, being an unshakable people in a time of shaking. Um, I don't know that there's ever been a time in my life uh, that we've been this close to possible nuclear war. Um, (laughs) uh, I mean... Was was it yesterday, the the day of the sun in North Korea? We're <laughs> we're all just kind of waiting. Okay, is uh, <laughs> what what is it that he wants to show off to the world today? Uh, <clears throat> and so, you know, in in light of what's what's happening, uh, we have to understand that God isn't surprised. Okay. <laughs> uh, <clears throat> in fact, we we really need to understand uh, that he said this was it was going to be like this, uh, and I, I guess probably the primary text for this message would be Hebrews twelve twenty six through twenty nine. Uh, <clears throat> at that time. His voice shook the earth, but now he has promised once more, I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. The words once more indicate the removing of what can be shaken, that is, created things, so that what cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore, Since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful and so worship God acceptably with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. So, let me repeat verse 28. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. (laughs) Let us be thankful and so worship God acceptably with reverence and awe. So we, we are in a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And, And today, we celebrate the great evidence of that. Jesus' resurrection. 
death no longer has any power over Jesus. Uh, his physical body died. He now is in a resurrected body in heaven at the right hand of the Father. Uh, there, There is nothing that can shake him. And so, you know, we... <clears throat> As, as I started talking about a couple of weeks ago about our identity, uh, we also need to consider what, what is our foundation. Because if, if our foundation is, is only created things, then we're in trouble. Because all of those foundations will be shaken, according to that passage that I just read. Everything, all created things are, are going to be shaken. And, and so we, we know that. We, we know that's going to happen. That, and that the Lord is, is actually bringing it about. He's the one doing the shaking. <laughs> so we are receiving his kingdom, which is an everlasting kingdom, and his kingdom cannot be shaken. So, uh, Father, I, I pray that you would give us a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of your Son and the knowledge of your kingdom, uh, that we would be an unshakable people in the midst of shaking. In Jesus' name. As we know, uh, in, in a time of great upheaval, seeing people live at peace is really unnerving. Uh, a great example of that is Jesus in the boat with his disciples. In, and understand, these are fishermen, okay, who've been through hundreds of, of storms on on the water and and they are beginning to fear for their lives so that tells you how bad it was and Jesus is still sleeping in the back of the boat there's there's nothing that that reveals your your inner peace more than the ability to just sleep in in a time of tremendous shaking and he completely unnerved the disciples. They, they thought he was crazy. So they woke him up. Don't, don't you care that we all perish? And, and he knew that that, Jesus knew that that wasn't even a possibility. As, as we heard from Scott and Ari a few weeks ago, the storm was just God's way of getting them across the lake in a hurry. So when Jesus calmed the storm, they had to get out the oars and row the rest of the way because it was dead calm. And I don't know about you, but I'm sure Jesus slept the rest of the way. <laughs> I'm, I'm quite sure he didn't help with the rowing. 
as he was a little bit upset at the fact that they'd woken him up. So in the same way, <clears throat> for us, as, as we live through times of shaking, and, and we're in those times, uh, and people see us with, with peace, uh, they will ask us, why are you not afraid? Why, how, how can you still sleep at night? How, how can you be peaceful? In, in these times, and that, that gives us an opportunity to share about Jesus' kingdom. So, most of what I'm going to share today is, is just right out of the Word of God. Because I, I want you to get it direct, so you can get the revelation directly from the Word of God, and, and maybe even dig into some of this a little more yourselves. So, <clears throat> there's a couple passages in Daniel that, that I want to share with you. Uh, the, the thing is, as, as the people of God, we know where this thing is going to end. Okay? And... And that's really what I want to share with you today, is what, what does the end look like? <laughs> because that's, that's really where we need to have our eyes focused in, in a time of great shaking. We, we need to not have our eyes on the things that are shaking, <laughs> but on the thing, things and, and thing that, that is not shaking because then we will not shake. And, and there's, there's an aspect of obedience to this as well. Uh, if you remember Jesus at the end of the Sermon on the Mount in uh, Matthew 7, he said, you know, if you, you've all heard these words that I've said, and, and some of you are, are going to hear these words and you're actually going to do what I say. And, and if you do that, you'll be like a man who built his house on a rock, on a foundation that was solid. And when the storms came, the waves and the rain beat against that house, but it stood firm. It wasn't moved. But then he also said, remember, if now you've heard these words, if, if you've heard these words, but you, you don't do what I said, then you're going to be like, a man who built his house on sand. And and that would not be very smart to build and and you know the sand was not very far away. The Sea of Galilee was not that far away. Uh it was something they all knew. If you build your house on the sand, I mean sand is always shifting. It shifts with the tides. It comes in, it goes out. And if you build your house where the sand is, and a storm comes, the house is just going to be torn apart. It's not going to make it. So that's what Jesus was saying. Now back to Daniel. In chapter 7, he shares some of the vision that the Lord gave him. I saw Daniel 7, starting in verse 13. 
I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man, and he came to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him. So that's Jesus and the Father. And to him, Jesus, was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion. It means his kingdom. That's his dominion. Which shall not pass away, and his kingdom is one that will not be destroyed. So Daniel is speaking this forth all the way back under the Old Covenant. And he's talking about Jesus and his kingdom. So not only did the writer of Hebrews believe that Jesus' kingdom was everlasting and unshakable, so did Daniel, because he, he saw a vision of it. And there's, there's many other examples that I could use uh, numerous examples in the Psalms and in other of the prophets. Uh, but I also want us to go down to verse 27 in chapter 7 of Daniel. And the kingdom and the dominion and the greatness of the kingdoms under the whole heaven shall be given to the people of the saints of the Most High. His kingdom shall be an everlasting kingdom and all dominions shall serve and obey him. So a time is coming when all of the other kingdoms will be under Jesus' kingdom. And those will be given to who? Yes, <laughs> to us, the saints of the Most High. So that's, that's where this is going. Okay. There's there's a great battle coming, but this is where it's all going to end up. And uh, I just threw Daniel eleven thirty two in here, just because it's so cool. And and I had to use the New King James because uh, they use the best terminology. <laughs> So Daniel 11:32 Those who do wickedly against the covenant he will corrupt with flattery but the people who know their God shall be strong and carry out great exploits yes. <laughs> See that also is where we're headed Cuz we're in that day we're we're in the day when the people who know their God will be strong and do great exploits. Yeah. That is during the great shaking. Because that's when the great exploits are going to be needed. After it's all over, we're not going to need exploits. <laughs> it's, it's during the shaking that, that we're going to need the exploits. So that's what he's talking about. And also I want to go to 1 Corinthians chapter 15 because this, this has some significant details 
as well. 1 Corinthians 15, starting in verse 20, is as Jesus has risen, so will we arise again with a glorified body. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep or died. I don't know why Paul uses that terminology. It was probably common in the day uh, about having fallen asleep, but he uses that a number of times in, in his letters. For as by a man came death, but by a man has also come the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. But each in his own order. Christ the firstfruits, then at his coming those who belong to Christ. Then comes the end when he delivers the kingdom to God the Father after destroying every rule and every authority and power. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. And the last enemy to be destroyed is death. So yes, just as we celebrate Jesus' resurrection today, we know that we will be raised again as well. And so, where, where I'm headed is the book of Revelation. Because if, if we want to see how things end, then we have to look at the end. And the last three chapters plus of Revelation are where we really see how, how things end. So, I'm going to start in Revelation 19, verse 6. And as I go, I'll, I'll probably give a little bit of commentary, but... Uh, I mean, we have to understand that the Bible, including the book of Revelation, was written for normal people. <laughs> it wasn't written... Yeah. <laughs> and it normally just says what it says and means what it says, and it doesn't need a whole lot of extra commentary. And that's even true with these last few chapters of Revelation, which actually are some of the easiest to understand in the whole book of Revelation once we get past the letters to the seven churches. So, here we go. Revelation 19, starting in verse 6. Then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters, and like the sound of mighty peals of thunder, crying out, Hallelujah, 
for the Lord our God, the Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and exult and give him the glory, for the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his bride has made herself ready. It was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure. For the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. And the angel said to me, Write this, Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, These are the true words of God. Then I fell down at his feet to worship him. But he said to me, You must not do that. I am a fellow servant with you and your brothers who hold to the testimony of Jesus. Worship God, for the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. Now, a few things out of that little passage. Who has the voice that sounds like many waters? Not in this passage, in previous passages. Jesus. He's, he's the one with a voice like many waters. At this point, we're at the marriage supper of the Lamb, and the bride sounds just like Jesus. That's, that's interesting. You know, because I, I've been saying intimacy requires likeness. Well, this, this is the time of the wedding supper. This, <laughs> this, this is when the bride and, and the bridegroom are, are actually celebrating the wedding supper. And, and the, other, the other thing that I, I think we need to understand, because I misunderstood this for a long time in, in my Christian life, just because... You have eternal life. You've trusted Jesus for salvation. Doesn't mean you get invited to the wedding supper of the Lamb. Okay? It's not automatic. It's promised to the overcomers. It's promised right here in this passage to those, to the bride who has made herself ready. Because there are some who believe in Jesus, but they they remain not being they remain overcome by sin, by the world, by the things of of death. Uh, they don't overcome those things. They don't buy the white garments that are necessary. Uh, from some of Jesus' parables, we we see that to get into the wedding supper of the Lamb, you have to have white garments. We can only get those here. That's that's what our time on the earth is for. Uh, once once we're gone, uh, we we can't change our garments anymore. Because what does it say the the white garments are are from? The 
the righteous deeds of the saints. Do you remember in the seven letters uh, to the church in Laodicea, Jesus says, I counsel you to buy white garments and to buy eye salve uh, for your eyes so that you can see. Because he, I mean, Jesus wants everyone who believes in him to come to the wedding supper of the Lamb. Uh, <clears throat> but there's, there's response that's required. Because everything, nothing in the kingdom is earned, but things, but everything in the kingdom is received, and it's received by response. So if, if there's an invitation and we don't respond, will we get it? We won't receive it. Because, see, God the Father, God the Holy Spirit are, are too much gentlemen to offer something. And if someone does not respond rightly and say, yes, I want that, to force it on them, they, he just does not do that. So, you know, our, our responsibility as the people of God is to respond rightly to God's invitation at, at every opportunity. And, and that's how we keep moving forward in, in the kingdom. And, you know, essentially that's, that's what the conviction of the Holy Spirit is about. It's what, um, well, let's just talk about that one for a minute. Because the conviction of the Holy Spirit is an invitation. Okay, you have this, which is ugly, it's death, it's... <laughs> but I have this for you. <laughs> if, if, if you will repent and turn and, and get rid of that, I'll give you this, which, which is way better. It's life. It's, it will help you. And, and so, you know, that's just the walk. Uh, and it, it's like the, the discipline of, of a father as well. You know, the Lord, the Lord brings us discipline, and we, we, either re, <laughs> we either respond by saying, yes, you're right, and I need to change, or we say, you know, I don't really want to do that. And, you know, sometimes that may bring a little more discipline. <laughs> or, and it, it depends on our heart, uh, or it may just be God withdrawing that offer for a while and, and letting you go your own way. So, anyway, these, these are important things, but we're, I'm spending too much time on this this part I can see because <laughs> we, we got a lot to go through here uh, if we're going to actually see the end and and that's that's the the whole point tonight so 
Now in Revelation 19, 11 to 21, we see the final judgment of the Antichrist kingdom on the earth. And, you know, I think we can make an assumption. Remember that when this was written, there were no chapter distinctions and verse distinctions. It was just written. That was added a few hundred years later to aid us in our communication about what the Bible says and, and in our study uh, and note-taking. But I, I think we're pretty safe in the section of the book of Revelation from 19 to 22 that this is happening uh, <clears throat> in a progressive nature in time, that it isn't jumping around back and forth. Okay, but the thing that we we don't clearly know, except in in a couple cases, is sort of time frames about what what's you know how long it is between different things that are mentioned. Because uh, it's the wedding supper of the Lamb uh, probably doesn't precede the judgment of the Antichrist and his kingdom by very much at all. In fact, they, they may very well almost be just right next to each other. So that's where we're headed next, starting in verse 11. Then I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse. The one sitting on it is called Faithful and True, and in his righteousness he judges and makes war. And that's Jesus, by the way. His eyes are like a flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems, and he has a name written that no one knows but himself. He is clothed in a robe dipped in blood, and the name by which he is called is the Word of God. That's what gives it away. And the armies of heaven, arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on white horses. From his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God, the Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh he has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And that gives it away as well. But notice... Those who are with him are the ones who were at the wedding supper of the Lamb because they're dressed in white. And I tell you one thing, after the wedding supper of the Lamb, the bride is going with the bridegroom. <laughs> he's not going to leave her <laughs> and say, okay, I'll, I'll see you later. No, they, they are together at this point. Then I saw an angel standing in the sun, and with a loud voice he called to all the birds that fly directly overhead, Come gather for the great supper of God to eat the flesh of kings, the flesh of captains, the flesh of mighty men, the flesh of horses and their riders, and the flesh of all men, both free and slave, both small and great. 
And I saw the beast and the kings of the earth with their armies gathered to make war against him who was sitting on the horse and against his army. And the beast was captured, and with it the false prophet, who in its presence had done the signs by which he deceived those who had received the mark of the beast, and those who worshipped its image. These two were thrown alive into the lake of fire that burns with sulfur, and the rest were slain by the sword that came from the mouth of him who was sitting on the horse, and all the birds were gorged with flesh. Probably should have made a PG warning or something, but (laughs) it it gets a little intense uh, here. But... uh, so just just a little more background on, on what's happening. You know, we have the wedding supper of the Lamb, which means all the overcomers, all of those who are faithful to God, are no longer on the earth. Jesus has come, and, and he has taken his bride to heaven. So that after the wedding supper of the Lamb, they can return to earth, and the only ones left on the earth are are those who are facing judgment. So, so this is this is what's happening right now. And uh, now, as we start verse twenty, we see uh, really the only direct references to the millennium and I'll say a few words about that after we read the first six verses of chapter 20. Then I saw an angel coming down from heaven holding in his hand the key to the bottomless pit and a great chain and he seized the dragon that ancient serpent who is the devil and Satan and bound him for a thousand years and threw him into the pit, and shut it, and sealed it over him, so that he might not deceive the nations any longer, until the thousand years were ended. After that he must be released for a little while. Then I saw thrones, and seated on them were those to whom the authority to judge was committed. Also I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded for the testimony of Jesus, and for the word of God, and who had not worshipped the beast or its image, and had not received its mark on their foreheads or their hands. They came to life and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. The rest of the dead did not come to life until the thousand years were ended. This is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy is the one who shares in the first resurrection. Over such The second death has no power, but they will be priests of God and of Christ, and they will reign with him for a thousand years. So what we see here, if, uh, if we believe in a literal millennium, and, and I, I do believe in a literal millennium, then we see Satan bound for a thousand years, and and we wonder uh, why a thousand years, and 
and I, I can't tell you why it's exactly a thousand years, but but I can tell you this that Jesus and those who will reign with him in that thousand years, and I I, I don't believe that there's a difference or a distinction between those who are invited to the wedding supper of the Lamb and those who reign with Christ during the thousand-year millennium. Because that is the bride, and I believe the bride is with the bridegroom for those thousand years. And what they are doing for those thousand years is making the earth ready for the new heaven to come down to earth. And why does it take a thousand years? Well, the earth is that defiled from 6,000 years of, of sin, and God is that holy. That it takes a thousand years to, to make the earth <laughs> with the, the whole uh, bride of Christ working on the earth to, to purify it and, and make it ready for the Father and heaven to come down to earth, at, which we will see shortly. So that's, that's what's going on for, for the thousand years. And then uh, <clears throat> at the end of the thousand years, and there are a lot of times that you'd like to ask the question, why, in eschatology? <laughs> but there aren't very many answers <laughs> to that question in, in the Word of God. And unfortunately, that is a question that God rarely answers people that I know. <laughs> uh, <laughs> he answers the question, what does this mean? often, uh, and what must I do, but why, uh, I haven't had very good luck with that question. So I don't know why at the end of the thousand years Satan is released for a short time and there appears to be another final rebellion, which again must be defeated and and judged and, and dealt with, but that's that's what we see here in this next passage. Uh, in chapter 20, starting in verse 7, And when the thousand years are ended, Satan will be released from his prison and will come out to deceive the nations that are at the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them for battle. Their number is like the sand of the sea, and they marched up over the broad plain of the earth and surrounded the camp of the saints and the beloved city, but fire came down from heaven and consumed them. And the devil who had deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire and sulfur where the beast and the false prophet were, and they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. So if you wonder if there is a literal hell, there's your answer. Uh, <clears throat> it's there, and 
Satan and the Antichrist and the false prophet and the beast, they're, they're all going to be there. And unfortunately, they're not going to be alone either. Now, <clears throat> I could tell you a few things about the uh, all-millennial view, but that would... Because I, I believed in that for a long time. And some of this actually makes more sense from that perspective than from the perspective of a literal millennium. But I don't want to go there because <laughs> we, we don't have time. So <clears throat> if you want to talk to me about that some other time, we, we could do that. So after the final rebellion, now we see the great white throne judgment of God. And this is where we see that there is a resurrection for everyone. It's not only the people of God who, who are raised again. Uh, every person will actually live forever. The question is where? Uh, are you going to live forever in the presence of God? Are you going to live forever... Uh, in what's called outer darkness? <laughs> or are you going to live forever in this place of judgment that's reserved for Satan and his minions? Uh, <clears throat> and that's, that's what we see in this next passage. Starting in verse 11 of chapter 20, Then I saw a great white throne, and him who was seated on it, from his presence earth and sky fled away, and no place was found for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and books were opened. Then another book was opened, which is the book of life, and the dead were judged by what was written in the books, according to what they had done. And the sea gave up the dead who were in it, Death and Hades gave up the dead who were in them, and they were judged, each one of them, according to what they had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. <clears throat> so, There's something really important here for, for a lot of believers to understand. Uh, no one is judged for what they believed, okay? Or what they said they believed. We're judged according to what we've done. Now, what we believed caused us to do what we did because it is what we truly believe that determines what we do. There, see, we can fool ourselves. We, we can be in deception. And we can think we believe something and have it be irrelevant from the way we live. 
And if that's true, we don't really believe it. But we think we do. <laughs> uh, <clears throat> and so this passage was was really important to me. I, I ran into a guy uh, about 20 years ago uh, who really challenged me on some things because I, I was... I was probably still in a Baptist church at the time. And and I was really proud about what I believed. Because I thought I believed all the right stuff. And and my life was not really all that righteous. Uh, I mean, it was good compared to most. But... In, in terms of me actually reflecting the nature of God was, was not happening very well. Because uh, it was all about what I believed, not about how I lived. And we can have a real disconnect there. <laughs> and when, when I met this guy, then I, he, as he challenged me on some things, I... The Lord gave me some revelation, and, and then I, I figured out, wow, uh, it really doesn't matter what somebody tells me they believe. If I just watch their life for a few weeks, I can tell them what they believe. <laughs> and it probably will be different than what they tell me they believe. <laughs> Which indeed was the truth, and I have lived by that ever since. Uh, you know, you, you don't have to tell me what you believe. Just let me watch how you live for a few weeks, and if you ask me, I, I will tell you what you believe. Uh, and that's a real important thing. <laughs> uh, in light of what we just read in Revelation 20, that everyone is judged by what they have done. Not what they thought they believed. <laughs> so we as the people of God, we have to be careful. I mean, we do need to believe the right things. <laughs> That's important. But then those right things that we believe, they need to translate into right actions <laughs> and, and right living because then we'll be rewarded for it. <laughs> uh, otherwise, if we just believe the right things and it, it doesn't cause us to live according to those things, then we're in deception. And it's not going to result in reward for us. And and that's the important thing, is our, our reward in, in the eternal kingdom is determined by our time on the earth. When we have all kinds of choices, options, alternatives of, of what to do. So, anyway, we, we better keep moving here or dinner's going to get burned. Um, <clears throat> so we read the great white throne judgment. So we're, we're in chapter 21. And this, this is where the end starts to really come into view in, in chapter 21. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. 
Don't ask me to explain that part to you, okay? And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away... Now, here, here's where you might get a few uh, wrong beliefs about heaven challenged, okay? <laughs> and there's there's even a, a couple things in here that are quite difficult to reconcile among, among themselves. Uh, anyway, I'll just, I'll go ahead and read it. Uh, <clears throat> and he will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death will be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. So I'm not sure how he can wipe tears away, and there can be no more crying or mourning. Okay? I don't know. <laughs> I'll just tell you that. <laughs> I'm just I'm just telling you what it says. <clears throat> But I, I think a lot of the tears that are going to be shed are going to be tears of regret. Of, if only I had, or if only I had not, then things would be so much different. And I, I can see the Lord wiping away those tears of regret. Because that's different than the other crying in the morning. So that's, that's the best I've got. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also, he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, it is done, or it is finished. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of water of life without payment. To the one who conquers, or the one who overcomes in other translations, uh, <clears throat> the one who overcomes will have this heritage, and I will be his God and he will be my son. But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. And I'm just going to keep going. Then came one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls full of the seven last plagues and spoke to me, saying, Come, I will show you the bride, the wife of the Lamb. And he carried me away in the spirit to a great high mountain and showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, having the glory of God, its radiance like a most rare jewel, like a jasper, clear as crystal. It had a great high wall with twelve gates, and at the gates twelve angels, 
And on the gates, the names of the twelve tribes of the son of Israel were inscribed. And then he goes on with, with a lot of detail about uh, the actual city. But I wanted us to see that, that this is, this is the new heaven coming down, the new Jerusalem coming down to earth where God will be with man. And I'm going to pick it up in, uh, let's see, maybe verse 22. And I saw no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light, and its lamp is the Lamb. By its light will the nations walk, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it. And its gates will never be shut by day, and there will be no more night there. They will bring into it the glory and the honor of the nations, but nothing unclean will ever enter it, nor anyone who does what is detestable or false, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. Uh, well, <clears throat> I'll quickly get to the end here in chapter 22. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb through the middle of the street of the city. Also on either side of the river, the tree of life, with its twelve kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and his servants will worship him. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads, and night will be no more. They will need no light of lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever. <laughs> so there will be no more night and no more need for sun because the glory of God will illuminate the new earth. And that's going to be amazing. <laughs> and the gates of the city will be open at all times, and, and we'll, we'll be able to go in and come out. And, you know, I, I don't know what all that's going to look like, but we're not going to be up on a puffy cloud forever. Okay. <laughs> Eternity is going to be on the new, the new earth, the new heaven and the new earth, which will be together. We're... Man will dwell with God and his glory will just shine forth. And that will be amazing. So when, when we see things shaking on the earth, we, we need to remember that we are citizens of an unshakable kingdom. That 
even though the kingdoms of the earth may be shaking, and they will, they will be shaking. Uh, God's kingdom will not be shaken. And, and the more we have our heart invested into God's kingdom, the less we will be shaken during, during those times. As, as our heart is for God and, and his kingdom, you know, we, we, will just, we will see the things of the end getting closer and closer. And we will see the wedding supper of the Lamb drawing near <laughs> as everything that can be shaken is shaken. And we won't be shaken. <laughs> because we're, we're just too looking forward to what we know comes next. <laughs> to what we know comes at the end. And it's our great reward. So, so the, the thing for us to keep in mind is now is the time for us to uh, have a reward. Now is, is the time for us to be obedient to the Lord and do the things that, that he tells us to do because that is buying the white garments. The, the righteous acts of the saints are, are those white garments. So, so this is our opportunity to, to do that. Daniel, you wanna you wanna share? <laughs> and go ahead and use the mic. Pastor Jay asked me to share because I'm going on a missions trip, so uh, he wants to give you guys the opportunity to sow into that too. But um, just to give you an idea, I'm headed to Pacochi, Brazil. It's about two hours away from Fortaleza, which is in the northern part of Brazil, south of the Amazon. So we're going to be working with a, a group down there called the Brazil Gospel Fellowship. Um, don't know a lot of details on the trip, and that's kind of how missions goes. The, the big word with missions is change. So you have to be willing to change, change and be flexible. So I, I know one of the big things we're going to be doing is we're going to be teaching English. And one of the big things for that is it's just a way to get people in and to build relationship. And we all know that's what the majority of the gospel is, it's relationship. Because if you try and argue somebody into the gospel, somebody else can come along and argue them out. And so it gets the relationship with the people down there, with us, and then there's a relationship that gets to form with Christ as well. And so it's going to be a two-week trip. I leave out on the 27th, and I'll get back on the 9th of May and be able to give some testimony as to what God did down there and everything. But as far as things you can pray for, it's the rainy season down there right now. And they get lots of rain. It's always green. Um, if it's anything like when I was in Panama, they cut limbs off of trees, stick them in the ground, wrap their wire around it, and a few years later they have a tree growing with the wire in it. So they have a fence they don't have to maintain. But um, I have a feeling it's kind of that way down there. So pray for good weather and, of course, safe travel. 
but then just pray that God opens up the people's hearts and that we get opportunities to share the gospel and and develop the relationships and help the missionaries to develop relationships with new people so that the work that they're doing down there can grow even larger than what it is. So um, if you want to give, I guess you can make your checks out to the church and just put missions or Brazil or my name on it um, or anything else. You can give it to the church or you can give it to me directly, whatever you want to do. But uh, thank you. So we, we will have an opportunity to give also next week. So if you weren't prepared this week, uh, we'll give you an opportunity to give also next week. And we'll, we'll pray over you next week. Because uh, Mark will be here, and he'll, he'll pray over you too. So uh, <clears throat> that'll be fun. Mark Crawford will be with us next week, and we're looking forward to that. Uh, so let's pray. Jesus, we celebrate you today. You are the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And you are the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And you are a bridegroom king. And you are the judge. And we thank you that you've called our names. I, I pray, Father, for each of us, that you give us hearts to be overcomers, hearts to love you with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And Lord, that you would make us unshakable because we're in your unshakable kingdom. Jesus, be glorified. In your name we pray. Amen. He is risen. Yeah, hallelujah. <laughs>